South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Good evening. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. Chris will be back later in the week, but I'm joined now by New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Welcome back. Oh, I got I to gotta turn on your mic. Sorry. Yes. Great to be here. <laughs> Just hours after I left. You know, the, yeah. that, the, the pot roast, of course, is in the back, <laughs> simmering now. Ready for you when you're ready. Well, so we, um, so you you covered quite a bit at Tim's. Uh, we had some different conversations. You know, we typically have some different conversations later in the evening that I wanted to talk to you about. And when we don't, you just... Say it a little differently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember that FedEx commercial from a few years ago? People in a, in a meeting and somebody makes a makes a comment and then the person the other person uh, says it, but it's like it says the same exact thing with gesturing and, and and the woman says, "Well, I just said that." And he goes, "Oh no, but you didn't say it like this." And he waves his arms. Right <laughs> yeah. Well, you you uh you know you and I know as uh, as as barristers that presentation is important and phrasing is important. It is. Uh, but uh, but um, it's all up to you uh, essentially because you are the Wizard of Oz and we are your minions. <laughs> Just doing, just doing your bidding. Um, so that's the nicest thing anybody ever said. To me. Yeah. So um, I did want to ask. I know Tim talked about that a little bit. I did want to ask you uh, a little bit more about uh, the comments from uh, from Bur uh, Burgo and Pereira. Pereira said that he met with you um, on a couple of ideas uh, regarding the South End, particularly in the summertime. And you said that you called his ideas uh, dumb. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. In the you're you're right up. Yeah. yeah. Did did you call yeah. his ideas dumb? No. No. <laughs> you can you picture that? Like, <laughs> no. But he said that. <laughs> like can people uh yeah, I saw that in your story and I was uh, I was a little surprised. So Yeah. Um Yeah, I look I, I you you did exactly what a journalist should do. You called my office for comment about it. They made some comments, and you know, I I said I declined comment. I, so, but you got me in the crosshairs now. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, so I'll so I'll I'll just say this. Um, yeah. Uh, so just maybe this will clarify things. Um, you know, I, I'll just say say something about about. I, about each of their their comments and and um, and then just make a more general statement about um, you know some of the things that we heard from the city council the other night. So in the case of of Ryan Pereira, he came to me with this idea of creating a beach subcommittee, right? Which mm -hmm. would be you know as I understood it would inform the park board and the and city government about the needs of the yeah. the um, the beaches right and he wanted me to sort of form this thing and 
and I said, look, you know, we have a park board. They have jurisdiction over the, the beaches. I mean, per, per state law, right? Yeah. yeah. If, if you want to form a committee, they, you know, as a sounding board, that you can do that. There's nothing. You don't need my permission to do that. You can go ahead and assemble people. And I think that would be, I think that would be useful, right? Um, so it isn't that like the uh, he, uh, he maybe wanted to create some like shadow park board. I don't know exactly what he had in mind for me to like run with his idea. But there's nothing stopping him from forming. Uh, getting a group of people together who care about the beaches or live near the beaches to sound off uh, or suggest to city government what should be happening at the beaches. So that's all um, That's all I had to say. So it's not about shooting down uh, ideas that um, I would prefer, I would strongly prefer to have um, more input about the beaches. I think the beaches are a big asset uh, for the city and um, – and I want to make sure that they are safe to use and that they, they're pleasing to the neighbors and and offer everybody in the city a, an opportunity to re recreate, right? So sure. that was the long and short of it. Sure. Um, you know, as far as uh, Shane Burgo goes, I think Shane expressed some uh, frustration with the approval of the pedestrian bridge, the city council's approval of the memorandum of understanding between the city on the one hand and the MBTA on the other, uh, that concerning the ultimate ownership of the pedestrian bridge that's going to be built as part of the passenger rail project. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in response to that, I'd just say, yeah, he's he's right, it was rushed, um, but it wasn't rushed because if anything on our end, uh, we were trying to, uh, we uh, were told by the MBTA that um, we're not building a bridge unless uh, you uh, get this mem memorandum uh, approved by the the um, city council. And we said, well, it's still in draft form. We've got to work through the document, then we'll present it to the. We're not going to present like a like you know a an un an incomplete draft to the city council. Sure. So it ended up being. Uh, it ended up being rushed because there was a procurement deadline for the state to get the, to award the construction contract. And it was just a matter of weeks. So that was rushed. I get his frustration. Um, it would, I would be frustrated too, but all I to say is that's, you know, it was only so much, there's only so much that we could do on that right. front. And it's a $21 million free infrastructure project. We got a great deal because yeah. the bridge they started off with looked awful and it was $13 million and we got them through, by just advocate, just insisting on something far better, uh, we got them to build something larger, more expensive, and most importantly, more becoming an appearance of uh, our city's standard of appearance. Right. So, um, so we're very. It was, it was a big win for the city. I, I'll just say this, but just generally, I saw you know those. Uh, that's how I understood those those comments. But but. But um, look, I, I like to think that I have a good working relationship with them and just about everybody on the council, notwithstanding some of the stuff you heard the <laughs> other night. Um, I, what what can I say? Like, it, there's yeah, there's some name calling going on. I don't take it all personally. Um, you know, they shot down um, four of the five measures I put in front of them. So mm -hmm. one out of five is not bad, Marcus. It's uh, yeah, I, I count that uh, count that as a big win. But um, um, yeah, look, I will, you know, move on from that and continue to 
try to work uh, with them. I had a good conversation today with the city council president, Linda Morad, about um, just a host of things coming That's up. Good. So we have a standing meeting. Because she had on kind of an event session about you on, on Thursday, you know? Yeah, I heard that. She really I'm just going to let it. I'm just just gonna, let it all out. Yeah. That's okay. I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> That's okay. Look, um, um, I think the whole pay raise, pay, the, the, um, classification study and, and reclass exercise that we went through for uh, compensation for city employees, I think, uh, left the public in, uh, for very understandable reasons in a, in a bad way, right? People were mm -hmm. like, Why, uh, what's the basis for all these pay raises, right? And, and so, um, you know, as, as we've discussed on the show, um, what I, I I said that I would go back and try to correct some of the problems they created, and I was just discharging that assurance. Right? I said said I was here on your show, I was on a Tim show mm -hmm. more than once on Tim show, and I said I'm going to do this. So I did it. I just I did what I said I would do, and I think they expected me to just sort of move on from the whole pay readjustment pay raise thing and and i i said i can't just move on would have probably been I, politically I, I, I convenient for them if you did yeah <laughs> and and look politically convenient but i, I don't know I, I i i think there's a lot to be said for doing as you say and yeah. um that's that's what i did and i'm not surprised they were angry about it so we're speaking with New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. One of the things that you guys talked about towards the end of the program really quickly, but I think is worth mentioning again, is that there was a, um, you're offering uh, $5,000 bonuses to right. new New Bedford police officers. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a little bit about it before. I've talked about it on Tim's show. We've got a, we've got a staffing problem in the police department. Yeah. Um, we budget for, I think it's 259 officers and we are running 214 Mm -hmm. now roughly and um we've got some cadets in the the pipeline who will graduate soon i think we've got a group of six that are coming out soon but uh we're way off it's not to say that we've got to be at 259 I, I don't know that that's the case and we haven't been at at 259 in a long time we've been while i've been in office we've been in the 250s for the most part sure um and in the last you know before the pandemic it was a little little I think it was in the 240s or so. So, um, I think so. But we've we've got we've got to deal with it. It's not at a crisis level, but I don't want it to get to a crisis level mm -hmm. for uh, because uh, we we've been successful in lowering the crime rate over time. The city's a relatively safe place, but it's not going to just it doesn't stay that we can't stay that way automatically. We've got to have police officers doing out there doing their job. So, um, is we're seeing now um, the departure of officers by retirement, some of them early, some of them before they've maxed out on their pensions. We've seen officers leave the department for suburban police departments where um, you know, the job's just frankly easier, right? And um, we're seeing a relatively lukewarm pipeline of cadets coming in, right? Yeah. So there's, they're not, and this is something that a number of professions are experiencing right now, the teacher's profession, the military and others. And, uh, but I think it's most acute with police officers. We, 
uh, and, and we're not going to lower the standards, right? So if someone comes in and has a long, you know, has a criminal record, they're not going to become a police officer. So that's a, you, you, ha- you can't lower the bar. So because of that, we're, the, the yield on the number of applications is pretty low. Not, that is to say the number of applicants who come in are interested in becoming a police officer and the ones who actually enter the academy is um, a, a relatively small percentage now. And so um, what we, we want people to... Um, to apply, we want highly qualified people to apply, and one way to do it is to offer a bonus. And so we hope that five thousand um, dollars. By the way, it, it, we know that there are plenty of police departments around the country that have done this uh, already. It's not not so much in our area. I know the sheriff is doing fifteen hundred dollars signing bonus, yeah. but it's it's new to this region. We hope that entices um, uh, some folks. It's although it is a signing bonus in the sense that it's given out when the uh, officer comes on on board actually before the officer is sworn in it's it is more in, a, in practice more of a retention bonus because the the string that's attached is that the officer will have to stay on for at least five years um, and so we've seen we've seen in the last few years officers getting um, cadets graduating from the academy and then like and then sticking around even in some cases less than a year and going to other suburban police departments and right. so that we're trying to prevent some of that so we're speaking with new bedford mayor john mitchell um i want to move on to another topic i uh, uh you guys recently uh sent a um letter for uh solicitation to the uh, department of uh environmental um what department was it um the DOER, sec- um yeah, the um the division of um uh, uh, energy resources. Yeah. So what you're basically, um, my understanding... The state, the state department, they're the ones who regulate the utilities along with the the, um, the division of public utilities, which is a statewide board. Well, my understanding from reading the letter is that you have some suggestions on how wind contracts should be secured going forward. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so... Um, so just maybe just a couple, just a minute on sort of background because this stuff gets complicated. But yeah. so people wonder, like, so how is it that there are some states that have offshore wind and others don't, like coastal states? And it's it's really, and how come offshore wind can supply electricity at a frankly a higher price than what you, the electricity generated from fossil fuels like natural gas, even right? And the answer is that the states have made a policy decision that they want offshore wind as a way of mitigating climate change, right? And so to do that, they passed laws, and Massachusetts is one of these states that has passed a law that says utilities that do business in-state, you've got the, the, the elect, all the electricity that you offer up our state, some of it has to come from offshore resources. So their request, so the utilities, um, uh, National Grid and then ours, um, Eversource, and there's a couple of smaller ones, have to supply offshore wind-generated electricity to state as a matter of law. So how do they do that? Well, there's a there's a, a, a bidding process, a procurement process in which they, for energy contracts that last for 20 years. And so what they say is, all you offshore wind developers, if you want to supply electricity to state, you bid. And, and the bidding, um, the winning bidder under state law, and this is uh, just I uh, give it uh, sort of oversimplify it. Um, the winning the winning bidder um, bids are uh, adjudicated or judged based on 
a number of things. It's primarily price, right? Lowest price tends to win, but it's also based on other factors. One of them, there are a number of environmental effects, um, whether um, the, uh, the the price, um, the, the certainty of, of the, the project, whether it's actually going to be seen through, um, effects on uh, fishing, effect, and then there's economic development, right? And so during the Baker administration, there were three procurements. And in those procurements, there were the, the state, each, in each of those, the, the state went with the lowest bid, uh, lowest price, and in the process, uh, marginalized the, um, the bids that had a slightly higher price, but promised more investments uh, okay. associated with their contracts. So sure. investments in things like port facilities, and um, workforce training programs. Things that would help New Bedford more. Exactly. Okay. So I've long argued and had, you know, at times it's somewhat uh, I butted heads with Governor Banker. I had a good relationship with, with him overall, but on this policy point, I was I it really pressed hard that they they that Massachusetts would lose investment to other states like New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Connecticut, all the way down in, on the East Coast because those states were assigning greater weight in the bid, in the bidding process for uh, for economic development promises commitments, and so sure enough, that's kind of what happened. So you've seen a number of factories that have been committed and already under construction in New York, New Jersey, Virginia, and not so much in Massachusetts. Um, same thing goes with smaller port facilities and and. Um, workforce programs they're just they're not spending the mon money here the Healy administration is in now and this is the so in May they'll do their first procurement for offshore wind contracts and what we have said to them is look assign a weight a higher weight to economic development uh, than you had than than the Baker administration did so that the companies in order to get to, in order to secure the right to supply electricity to the state, they're going to have to make some more serious economic development commitments. So that's and that's what would inure to the benefit of New Bedford. So that's the that's the thrust of the argument. Yeah. So the letter that we submitted today, and I'm grateful for all the business folks, uh, business leaders in the region. Who signed oh, there's a lot it. of people that signed on to it. Right. Yeah. So um, you know we've talked been we've been writing these letters for a while now um, mm -hmm. and but this is the first one for the Healy administration and so we've already have already had I've already had a number of conversations with them about the, the very point I just made like use the solicitation process to incent investment right here in Massachusetts because it's going to go somewhere as it as that industry uh, throws down its roots in yeah. The United States. It's got so it should be in Massachusetts and more specifically here in New Bedford and Greater New Bedford. So that's that's the that's the point. I know it's a long wind up. But no, but it's how, it's worth it explaining. Yeah. So um, other than the the uh, in, uh, investments, the, the the greater amount of investments in the, in those communities like New Bedford in particular, uh, what you asked for. And there's a story recently on WPRI that I saw. Um, I just actually finished South Coast Night. I go home. I'm like, oh, wait, that's that's Mayor Mitchell. He's on TV. <laughs> here I am. I was just talking about him for three hours, and now he's here. Yeah. So um, so uh, 
it was uh, one of the things that you guys talked about was mitigation to um, interruptions, uh, disruptions of the fishing industry. Right. So uh, it appeared from that piece in WPRI that there's still some tensions between fishing and offshore wind. So, um, but you've in that in that uh, in that correspondence to the state to the Healy administration had said that you need to mitigate um, fishing uh, uh, disruptions to the fishing industry. So, where are you guys at in that whole um, process? And and how how is the fishing industry? Um, you know, the people in the fishing industry responding to the, the work you guys are doing? Yeah, yeah. No, it's an it's an ongoing. Um, process right and it's been ensuring that offshore wind happens in new bedford because it it's it has the potential to create an awful lot of jobs in the long run um has to be balanced against the you know, the need to avoid harming the fishing industry so we've been trying to do that the conflicts happen in two places right to an extent it's you know makes the port more crowded that's um, that can be managed, right? Um, the real conflicts are out at sea, right? And it's there, and in a very basic way, if you put windmills where fishermen have historically fished, or if you put them where um, fish habitats are likely to remain, um, then you might hurt the fishing industry, right? So, for us, we have been at the forefront nationally of the discussion about how to avoid conflict between the two. And so the way you do it is you make sure that wind farms are not put in the right, uh, wrong place. We, New Bedford, um, at the close of the Obama administration, sued the, the federal government over its decision to put uh, windmills in an area um, just south of Long Island that's now part of the so-called Empire Wind, um, wind Farm Project. Uh, we lost, but the re reason we did it was because it was an area where there was a lot of scallops uh, uh, historically, right? right? And those, most of those scallops end up in, on, the, on on our docks and not uh, others. So we lost we lost that um, in the um, uh, District of Columbia uh, Circuit Court of Appeals ultimately. And um, but we, I think, by doing that, I think we made it clear to the, the wind industry that you know we. We're looking to play fair here, but um, the wind industry needs to understand that the uh, the fishing industry in uh, the United States is very different from what they were used to in Europe. It's a lot bigger. It's a lot more complex. And so I think that helped us when it came time to open up more areas, like uh, especially near New York in the so-called New York Bight area, where, again, most of the fish landed in an area, a vast area of ocean um, off off of New York and New Jersey, where it turns out most of the fish caught there are landed in New Bedford, right? Sure. Not anywhere else. So, um, so we were able successfully to beat back a whole lot of uh, area that had been carved out for offshore winds, and that's the that that I think is one of the areas. So that was that was, I, I consider that to be a big success. Sure, um, they're going to continue to be conflicts between the two and and I, I think once vineyard wind starts going and people especially the fishing industry understands what it's about and not about um and where the limitations are i think it'll calm um a, a lot of those fears but what we've done what we've tried to do is just put ourselves right in the middle which is not the safest place in american politics these days yeah, but right. we just try to be 
you know, a voice of reason. And this, it's just to point out facts to each side. And, um, but when it comes to protecting the fishing industry, we're pretty adamant about, you know, when, when we think that the offshore wind industry has been unreasonable and we've demonstrated that. So it's a long way of saying, Marcus, that, um, you know, New Bedford in this discussion, so in nowhere else in the United States, uh, will the, those two industries intersect then in New Bedford. And so we have to be in the conversations at the state level as we have been at the federal level with the number of federal agencies and um, in Congress as well. And so, um, because there's a lot at stake for us, we're trying to preserve one and uh, grow our leadership in the other. We're speaking with New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell, I'm gonna take a break and we'll be right back to South Coast tonight. Remember they don't put the all the commercials in the first of the month, so. <laughs> less Come time. on, you've been here long enough to less, know better than that. Less, less time for the uh, the off-air podcast. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. We're here with the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. I'm being entranced. Um, no, uh, so one of the, we just talked about it briefly <laughs> off the air. Um, I was I just had some conversations with a couple of city councilors in the last couple of days about um, a proposal from your office uh, for. Uh, a revolve uh, um, a fund basically to because you guys had to deal with parallel products mm -hmm. um, the the and in, in up in uh, the north end uh, in the industrial park and there's going to be some revenue generated from that deal and so you guys have set up a fund um, to 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 sort of allocate um, those uh, financial resources can you talk about that a little bit sure yeah so people will remember the parallel products proposal, which I think they're going under the name South Coast Renewables now uh, mm -hmm. for the park, right? So they, so Parallel Products is already in the park. They have a, a glass recycling business there. They've had it for a number of years. Yeah. And they wish to expand in two ways. They wanted a municipal solid waste facility there, which trucks would bring in municipal solid waste, and it would be bailed and put on rail cars. And the, this rail, there's a rail spur that comes to the site in the, in the park. Mm -hmm. And then uh, separately, they wanted to do a biosolids um, recycling site, which is brings in as just it sounds like brings in sludge. Yeah. Uh, so not pretty. Uh, so I made clear that uh, it was the wrong place for these these things. Um, uh, but we made what became very clear is that we'd be fighting an uphill battle um, on this. We could tie them up in litigation for a long time, and I was prepared to do that but at the end of the day in all likelihood the state would approve the facility yeah and so what we did was we tried to make the best of it and most importantly what we did was we were able to get them to agree not to proceed with the biosolids facility which was for understandable reasons the, the more objectionable of of the two by yes. far right so that was a big win and then for the municipal solid waste facility we got them to agree to, to two things one is that um if new bedford ever wanted to use that facility we would get what's generally colloquially called most favored nation pricing in other words we'd yeah. be able to come in at the lowest price they offer any of their customers what's useful about that is at some point and we think it's about 15 years the Crapel hill landfill will have to be closed it's one of the last landfills in the state and the state's not permitting any others and so 
you know, we're trying to look down the road to see how New Bedford can benefit and uh, what New Bedford's going to have to do to deal with that. Our trash has to go somewhere. The trash mm-hmm. from the city as well as the town of Dartmouth goes there. So uh, by, by uh, getting parallel products to agree to a most favored nation pricing uh, commitment, you know, we're at least locking in something that will be beneficial to the city in the long run. Sure. Um, equally, if not more significant, was that we uh, were able to get them to commit to a uh, host community payment, which meant that they're going to have to pay a tipping fee. I think it's, I forget what it is, it's a little, because I haven't looked at this, it's been several months, but um, a little over $2 a ton for uh, for all the municipal solid waste. Which is a lot. Up. Yeah, so we project in the first year it'll be about $800,000, and then it'll just... It'll go up uh, from there. Cool. That money will be split two ways. Half of it will go into the city's general fund, and then the other half will go into a revolving fund, uh, which will be used for public works projects in the two precincts, right, that are closest to the to the site. Right? Yeah. So think like Pine Hill Acres and yep. Briarwood and Sassaquan, those, those neighborhoods will... Um, they'll get the benefit of this additional money coming in. I think... Um, As they should. They're the closest to the site. Of course. Uh, I think that some of... I, I think some of the... Uh, I don't know if it was the at-large councilors, but I think some of the ward councilors had said they want the other the other half of the money to be basically earmarked for ward-specific uh, projects in each of the remaining uh, five wards. I know this meeting just happened last night and we also had a special election at the same time. So I didn't know if you uh, had any um, particular thoughts on that idea. Uh, I might've just been springing it on you here. Yeah, I think that's hard. I think that's hard to, um, to do. It's, it's the kind of proposal that the city's heard from the council over the years, right? Take a certain sum of money wherever it's, whatever it's source and split it up equally along, among the wards. Um, you know, that's, you know, to my mind, that's kind of what the general fund is for. Mm-hmm. So um, you put it there and you fund the projects that, you know, are most pressing and of, and the, of the greatest importance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's left for the mayor and the city council to, you know, to figure out on their own. Sure. Um, yeah, there is, we're carving out a certain amount of money for those two precincts because those, those two precincts are closest to, you know, this. They're directly use, impacted right? by it. Right. Yeah. To the extent, and I don't think the impact is going to be great because we've, you know, we've, there were requirements about uh, screening off the site and so forth. And I sure. I think it's going to be controlled well. There are a number of measures in the host community agreement to control traffic on Phillips Road. Um, so I, I think it's going to be manageable. But insofar as there any, there's any impact, I think that's where the money should should go, whether it's for sidewalks or investments in Pine Hill Park uh, or, you know, whatever, streets. Or it's 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 going to be up to – it's going to be up to – the city working with the Ward 1 Councilor to to figure that out. So we're speaking with New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Uh, We're going to take another break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Individual rates. Tree can be a warrior, battling global challenges with greater courage. A tree can be a solution, cleaning our air, supporting our communities, and protecting our wildlife. A tree can be noble, growing hope 
in every corner of the world. That's why now is the time for trees, millions of trees. Join our planting movement at arborday.org. This time next week, I'll be sick in bed with West Nile virus. Thanks to a mosquito bite right in front of my house. In eight minutes, my daughter will be in an ambulance having an asthma attack triggered by cockroaches. I'm going to be bitten by a tick today. I won't even know it until Lyme disease turns my life upside down. Learn how to protect your family at pestworld.org. A public service message from the National Pest Management Association and the CDC. Dear hero, whoever you are, you save lives. I live with sickle cell and the pain and the issues that come along with sickle cell every day. I'm most grateful that people are willing to go out there and take their time, their blood, and give me new life. Because of you, I'm allowed to see my son grow up. Giving equals living. Give blood. Replenish the supply. Learn more at hhs.gov slash giveblood. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Children are placed in foster care through no fault of their own. Because of abuse or neglect, it's heartbreaking. We were just left in a hotel. Tay and his brothers were adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. But more than 100,000 children in the U.S. are still waiting for a family. Now that I'm adopted, I can focus on being a kid. Learn how you can help at DaveThomasFoundation.org. One's on the left, left. the other on the right. Right. But they're both ready to call it right down the middle. More of Marcus and Chris on South Coast Tonight here on WBSM. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm with New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell, who's got a major announcement to make about his re-election next year. <laughs> well done. Well done, boy. Yeah, you caught me flat-footed right, right there. You, you know, you, you've been masterful in the number of ways you've brought up that topic. Every time. I, like, last, like I remember talking last time. You guys will figure out a way to... Yeah, you know, to to do it subliminally. So if yeah. you play the podcast backwards, you'll yeah, hear, hear you'll, my you'll, answer, you'll, yeah. you'll know his <laughs> his true intentions. Um, so uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain here at South Coast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> We're with New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell. Um, uh, uh, anyway, um, have you? Uh, so ha- oh, yeah, that's right. So we had a robust conversation. Um, with some state lawmakers a couple weeks ago on the state pier. Uh, they had some issues. We spoke with Bill Strauss. We spoke with Mark Montigny. We spoke with Chris Markey. And they all had issues with how the state bid, the, the state pier bid was um, secured. Uh, Montigny had said, you know, what the, 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 the bid is, aligns with his vision of what he thought that should be there. So he's okay with it as long as, you know, they, the process is examined. Uh, I think Strauss is, uh, Rep Strauss has outright called for it to the, the, the deal to be squashed. Um, so what is your position um, on this bid uh, and the accusation that the state lawmakers are making that it was secured in a clandestine way? Uh, I think there was nothing wrong with it. I don't think mass development did anything wrong, and you are right. Bill Strauss has long wanted to kill that deal. I don't know if he actually said that in your show, That is, but that is exactly what his intention is. And, and look, he tried to kill the, um, the whale's tail uh, clam shack 
um, on Pier 3. Spent a great deal of time and energy and political capital trying to kill that, trying to kill the Warfinger deal where, you know, Marisol's is, all of those that together. And because of some, you know, made up um, threat to the fishing industry, which is just nonsense. Um, and, um, and he's made there's been it's been there's been i'm not telling any for people who have paid attention to the the state pier saga over the last 10 years as i've tried very hard with a whole lot of stakeholders on the waterfront and in the city and business leadership to advance some development there mm -hmm. um there's been no secret that bill strauss doesn't want it now um i you know, I, I don't think he actually explained why that is, right? And, and like the idea that the fishing industry is threatened is because there's a hundred now a hundred thousand dollars of fishing uh, dockage revenue there is, you know, not not the reason. It's not a pier that's historically been used for fishing. It really hadn't been used for fishing up until about five years ago. Until the state said, you know, we need some more revenue. I want some of your fishing boats come over. Um, there is millions of dollars in dockage fee revenue among the municipal peers, the uh, the peers in Fairhaven, the peers, the private uh, peers on both Pope's Island and Fish Island, and, and in the North Terminal area. Um, it is the the fishing activity right now on the state pier is a f tiny fraction of the whole. And by the way, this proposal um, will usher in more fishing activity insofar as the fish auction will be moved there. So um, I, I want to talk about like what this deal is. So that pier, as everybody knows, who's looked at, anybody who's driven through New Bedford, who's familiar with New Bedford, looks at that pier and says, what a shame. It's a parking lot. There's a ferry terminal there, but there's nothing. There's just a bunch of cars parked there. And you know what? They're right. So when people talk about New Bedford having potential, New Bedford having, what we've said is, okay, we've got to activate that potential. So we've put restaurants, and they're talking about restaurants on the water, which we, we have our, we have a port that is dedicated, almost 99% of which is dedicated to marine industrial, right? We're talking about a tiny fraction of the whole that would be retail or a restaurant. We did that on Pier 3, um, and what we're, we propose to do is um, to do the same in the front of the state pier. That's it, um, and that's all of two acres in the front. Um, in the last few years, we've added close to 70 new acres of maritime industrial uh, um, uh, uh, uses or area of uh, on the waterfront between the maritime terminal, the uh, Eversource property, and the um, um, Revere Copper and Brass site. So I think I happen to think that you know, like any great port, there's a little bit of everything. In our case, we don't have a, a whole lot of room for recreational stuff. It's committed to marine industrial, and I've increased it significantly in my time in office. But people want to have, people like going to the black whale, people like going to the whale's tail, and people like going to Cisco. You can have these things on the water and not interfere with maritime industrial purposes. The stake we've done, there's been a, a lengthy public process to get to this point. Um, we got a quarter of a million dollar grant back in, I think it was 2016, 2015, to do extensive waterfront planning. We had uh, dozens of stakeholders, including a whole lot of people from the fishing industry, to say, here's what 
we'd like to see across the waterfront. And with that plan in place, and I think we passed that plan along to you guys, um, yeah. that that plan is what's being executed on. We've done exactly what you'd expect municipal government to do. Go out and plan, get a bunch of people together, plan, look at data, understand, hear everybody's voice, and then once a plan's put together, go execute it. The state has has failed utterly in in the last few decades to do anything meaningful on the state pier. Mm-hmm. And what I've done is stepped into the vacuum. I went to uh, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and others, and I said, "We really want you, you guys are. This is the most underutilized property, certainly in Greater New Bedford. It's got to be one of the most underutilized properties." in the entire state of Massachusetts. And what we think we should do is put it out for an RFP and see who bids. And so that's what they did. Now, as you know, um, RFPs, requests for proposal, when it comes to real estate or anything, are not negotiated in public, right? What gets released when they're done are, you know, who the other bidders were and all that. That comes out, that's available publicly afterward. But in the course of it, it's, it's not a public transaction. People are negotiating like we do. I mean, we have negotiations all the time with unions and others. These are not done in public. The public gets to scrutinize it all afterward. But you, it, it'd be very hard to get to a deal if this is all like sort of done by, you know, public hearing. This, so there's nothing illegal about it, what Mass Development did. Mass Development runs the pier. The city was invited into it because we've done all the planning, because we have control over traffic, control over utilities, control over, by virtue of the Port Authority, the marine traffic. So the city has to be involved in it. That the Baker administration did not involve the state delegation, state legislative delegation is a question for them. Like, uh, honestly, I I know there there was some bad blood between some of them and and the governor, was on. there it was yes there was uh, in <laughs> fact and so they've got a can you stay till be, 10 let's talk about it <laughs> yeah well uh so so like i think but the public should ask well why why weren't you guys why is this why, why weren't you guys led into the conversation go ahead and have it so uh you know at the end of the day i i still think and i've told i went uh, I, I went back to the state i went back to the new economic development secretary i said you you guys should just go ahead and tell tell the state delegation what how this how the winning bid was selected and what the you know how that was assessed and and um, just so that they feel like they're they're part of they're part of this right I I don't <laughs> honestly I don't care for me I don't I I don't care I just want to see this thing developed. So what you're saying is because, again, there's three separate state lawmakers that, that felt the need because uh, Strauss's interview was playing. The other two were not. Um, they just happened to be listening. And then we know that the other uh, members of the state delegation had had signed on to the letter. What you're saying is they're they're feeling that this was done, um, you know, in the shadows, I think, as Strauss had put it, was due to the Baker administration's um, decision to not contact them or keep them out of the negotiation process? Uh, they have no legal right to be involved in it, right? Okay. They're, they're legislators, right? They're not. So they, as a courtesy, they expected to be um, informed about what happened. Um, and 
what I've told the state, what I've told to a lot of folks is in mass development and others is, yeah, you should probably keep them in the loop. It's it's here in New Bedford, right? And they represent parts of New Bedford. Tony Cabral's it's Tony Cabral's district mm-hmm. and Mark Montigny's district. You should at least tell them. Yeah. And I like I don't like personally I don't care, right? They there was they they had some problem. The Baker administration had some problem with telling them, and so I think you should go ahead and ask all those folks, right? And and you can ask them, like, well, you know, did the governor have any any issue with the fact that you guys have been stonewalling this project for a long time? Maybe he did. The governor told me, I'm glad we're getting this done. We're finally getting this done. It's been a long road. That's what Baker told me. Karen Polito was hugely pushed this thing. She is about anybody at the state level of one responsible for advancing this thing. Yeah. People in New Bedford should know this. This is a really strong project. This is what New Bedford deserves to have that eight acre site finally utilized for things that people like to see. We want to bring people down to the water so they can see, among other things, the fishing industry in action so that people value the fishing industry more, so that people are willing to stand up for it when it's subjected to unfair regulation, for instance, so or or stereotyped in some some way. That's that's what I think is is important. And and as the as the mayor, um, I heard the planning uh, group that asked for exactly that, call for exactly that, and that's that's what I've been championing all along. New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell, uh, I appreciate you joining me this evening. We've got one more break, and that's going to take us probably to the end of the hour. So um, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Well, let's see. Uh, happy March. It's yeah, March 1st. That's uh, the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, Ides of March in a couple of weeks. You got that. And then St. Patrick's Day, right? So. You going to the gala? The friendly sun uh, Yeah, I'll be there. That's obligatory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll see me there. Yeah. I'll, be, I'll be there too. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks Marcus. For, yeah, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. I'm going to take this break. This is South Coast Tonight. Uh, we were here with Mayor Mitchell. If you want to hear everything.